Nicola Willis is the National Party housing spokeswoman and on News Hub last evening broke a story in relation to Kiangaora and their blatant promotion of a of a then uh, soon to be announced Labour Party candidate and also um, some internal correspondence suggesting that perhaps what many people suspect of government agencies blatantly promoting a particular party or side of politics appears to be just that. Nicola, thanks for joining Taxpayer Talk. Great to be with you, Jordan. Now, I think you have you have been on Taxpayer Talk before, but you're not yet a member of the Taxpayers Union, are you? I'm a proud member of the National Party. It's to that party that my affiliations are strong. <laughs> Very. What a great politician's answer. So take us through. You've um, I've I've got your media release here that we'll um we'll link to in the uh in in the summary. But take us right from the beginning. What have you uncovered? Well, this all starts with this question of what does an enormous government agency, Kāinga Ora, spend its money on? Uh, and we revealed earlier this year that they had a half million dollar deal with NZME whereby they write little puff pieces about themselves uh, and NZME helpfully publish them on the One Roof website. Now, that's an awful lot of taxpayers' money, so we decided to examine carefully what are these articles actually about? What connection do they have with Kāinga Ora's purpose, which is ultimately to provide housing? One of these articles seemed a bit curious because it focused on Arana Williams, who... Uh, is now a Labour Party MP, the MP for Manarewa, uh, and who at the time uh, of this article was living in Hobsonville Point. Now, Hobsonville Point, just so you know, Jordan, uh, is a development that the national government, a housing development, the national government kicked off. Um, anyway, this, this article had been published in May, but what we know is that in February of 2020, there had been at least two published articles speculating that Arana Williams would be the new Labour Party candidate. So we did an OIA request. We thought, well, obviously, yeah, Kainga Ora can't have known that she was going to be a candidate because surely they wouldn't have gone ahead with this publication if they knew that. So we were very shocked when we got these documents. Because what they reveal is not only did senior officials at Kainga Ora know she was a candidate, it was actually them who approached her to do this story. And when they discussed her candidacy with her, they decided they would simply cover that up and omit that fact uh, from taxpayers and from those reading the article. And it's just unacceptable. Let's come back to the cover-up because I think that's a, that's a whole uh, separate issue. Just for background, these were the same articles that were in the media a few months ago because it, it initially wasn't actually disclosed that it was, and I hate the term, but advertorial. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that's that's one of the things that's so fascinating and your work here to sort of lift the veil and see what's going on is they phrase it as it's, it's advertorial, but the Herald or NZME gets um, news writers, they call it, to write the story. They send Kiangaora the draft, and their spin doctors can literally make changes. No, we don't like we don't like that word. We're going to describe them as neighbours, not friends, because it's very clear everyone's all very friendly uh, here and ma- uh, matey matey. Uh, and then send it back to the Herald to be published without even disclosure. It, it, it's simply extraordinary. 
it's very disturbing. And you know, this the only way I found out about this was I was literally looking on the One Roof website and I saw this article which was extraordinarily effusive about Kainga Aura and its skills and its developments and how wonderful it was. And I thought to myself, there has to be something going on here. So we initially asked a parliamentary written question of the Minister of Housing, is there a financial arrangement between One Roof and Kainga Aura? And, and this, you may not believe Jordan, but she initially said, no, no, there's no financial arrangement. And I thought, well, that can't be true. And as you say, there was no clear disclaimer saying that the article had been paid for or sponsored, but I smelt a rat. So we asked another series of questions in which the minister then acknowledged that, yes, there was a financial arrangement for sponsored content. Uh, and that was shocking for two reasons. First, because it was apparently a clerical error that she hadn't initially revealed that to me. But second, because, as you say, none of these articles had a disclaimer on them saying they were being paid for by this government agency. And that's a clear breach of advertising standards requirement. Yeah. We pointed that out. And after the fact, Kainga Aura quickly did a tidy up. And now when you go to the website, there is a disclaimer saying those articles are being paid for by Kainga Aura. But yeah, it's very uncomfortable to see taxpayers paying for these articles that are dressed up as genuine news, but are advertising pure and simple. Do you think that it is also compromising for the media? I mean, I, I, the, the strange thing is, is NZME is actually one of the best. I mean, uh, my, I, advise, uh, my, I advise you for your own blood pressure, never go onto the spin-off or, or Radio New Zealand's website um, if, if, if these puff pieces of, uh, of government agencies make, uh, annoy you. So you've, you've released um, a couple of dozen pages of um, the internal correspondence, and you've obviously uncovered that they actually not only knew but conspired to cover this up. Mm. Take us through that. Well, look, the, the emails are the sort of thing that I think we often suspect public servants might be having conversations over the phone about, but to see it in writing is just shocking. So I'm, I'm looking down, Jordan, because I'm reading the timeline here. So what we have is a senior communications advisor from Kainga Aura reaches out to Arana Williams because she is her Facebook friend and she's seen Arana uh, post something lovely. Uh, and she she decides that, oh, wouldn't it be great if we did a little story in NZME about you? Because, of course, this communications advisor has access to endless taxpayer resources mm -hmm. with which to tell these stories. How this is connected to getting houses built mm -hmm. remains a mystery to me. So she writes to her. Uh, and she says in the emails, we have a relationship with NZME and can put out sponsored stories like editorial, but written by news writers, and you can approve copy, etc. So then an exchange uh, goes with Arana Williams, and the senior communications advisor appears to have a moment of, hmm, maybe this is not quite right, given Arana Williams is in the running to be a Labour candidate. So she writes an email, she was worried that putting herself out there in the media might suddenly seem like she's helping coordinate some publicity for herself. Yes, I assured her it wasn't a problem in my view, and, quote, we could proceed as though we didn't know about the impending announcement. And, and what's very um, concerning here is that it's clear this is not just the senior communications advisor acting alone. She's communicating with her senior colleagues. There's a text message exchange in the documents 
between this advisor and Arana and what she says, our GM, so that's a general manager in a government department, that's a fairly senior and certainly well-paid role. Do we, do we know who that is? Um, the, the names have been included in the documents, Jordan. Okay. I've chosen to Fair enough. from the public release. My focus is on the culture at Kainora mm. and the leadership that has allowed these sorts of things to happen. So then it says, our GM reckons there are no big red flags if we interview you for this story. Our view is that whatever political announcements follow don't have any bearing. Um, and then it goes on. There's several emails. This question of Arana's candidacy comes up again and again and again. And every time it comes up, the decision is we will just omit this fact. So here's another one. Quote, we can just act as though we don't know anything. Then there's a little exchange with the writer of the piece. Yes, please do remove any mention of her Labour candidacy from this. It keeps Kainra Aura's powder dry too. Uh, the, the writer writes back, mind you, with recent polling, I'm not sure anyone would be surprised. Ha, ha, ha. Because, you know, it's all a big funny joke. There's no standard Incredible. political neutrality that anyone needs to so, I, mean, I, I, I want to push back on this because, and that's partly the reason I want, want, wanted to get you on the podcast, is that, I mean, we, we here at the Taxpayers Union, we had, you know, lower taxes, less waste, more transparency. Our equivalents in Canada, they don't use, the, the third limb is more accountability. Yes. And we sort of use transparency and accountability interchangeably. But it does seem in recent years, you can do, we see this across local government too, no matter how blatant you are, and frankly, this is dishonesty, to this is not quite a lie in unison, but it is it is a team of spin doctors within a government agency simply agreeing we're going to pretend we didn't know this and, um, and stuff it, we're going to do it anyway. Mm. Having being well aware of um, of the concerns, mm. and I know you've gone to the Public Services Commission, r- written to the commissioner, but again, you never know the names of these people. It never reaches into the in, into the public domain. The media move on after um, twenty four hours, and these people are never held to account. And this mm. is simply a blatant breach, as you point out in your press release of the standards of integrity and conduct for mm. public service employees. I get that it's cultural, but, you know, the culture is set at the top, but it's also changed by, frankly, making an example of the very few cases of which this is one mm. that you actually find out about this happening. So I come back, why wouldn't you name this this person? Or do you have confidence that the, you know, a much a much weaker um uh, public Services Commission than, you know, back in back in the 90s when that was the centre of excellence in the public sector. Um, do you think that these people will be held to account? Well, what I absolutely expect is that the Minister will require accountability of this agency. She herself said last night, when put on the spot, well, actually, this isn't the standards of professionalism I'd expect and that it wasn't appropriate for a political candidate to be used in this way. So if that's the case, what is the minister going to do about it? Because it's not enough for her to just stand to one side and observe that something inappropriate's happened. She needs to take action. So it's my view that she should be hauling in the chair of Kaingora, hauling in the chief executive and saying, how has this happened? What investigation have you done? Who's been held accountable? What's changed? How can I be confident this will never 
happen again. And you're right, you're, you're, that's pretty that will involve consequences for individuals, but ultimately the consequences for individuals need to be determined on the basis of an investigation about exactly what's gone on. Because I think the rock will go quite high here. My sense is if you've got senior advisors making these decisions, they're obviously operating in an organisation that has completely forgotten its role as a neutral public entity that serves yeah. the public. It doesn't serve politicians, it serves the public. And I think they've lost sight of that at Kainoa. Do you think realistically, you know, bet- um, between you and me, do you think <laughs> and, you think... and our friends on Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, of course. Do you think that would has any realistic possibility of happening, given that you said earlier that the minister's office had either got it wrong or misled you. Hmm. Uh, we even had too much dealings with um, Minister Woods's, Woods' office to, to have a sense of um, whether that would be the play, case. Hmm. But you've been in the heart of um, of government before with your work in um, uh, John Key's um, uh, office. Uh, do you think it's it's likely or possible the minister's office were complicit on this, you know, well, let's just pretend we didn't know. Or do you think that the officials at the department likely misled the minister's office? What I know for a fact is that the minister's office knew about this in June this year. So one of the things I want to ask Minister Woods about in Parliament today is what action did she take at that point? Because at that point she knew that Arana Williams uh, had been identified as a candidate when the piece was written and that the Kaiang or chose not to reveal that fact despite yeah. knowing it. So she knew it then. So what did she do? So that's a very real question. What I do think should happen here is that the Public Service Commission actually have a crucial role in protecting the reputation of public servants as a whole. And if I were Peter Hughes, if I were Chris Hipkins, the Minister for Public Services, then I would look at this and I would see that it puts a stain upon every single other public servant, many of whom do act with integrity and honesty, yeah. because it implies that this sort of thing is acceptable. So they should know that unless action is taken, consequences are delivered, then what remains is a sense that this sort of dishonest behaviour is acceptable in the New Zealand public service. It cannot be. I should say uh, to the Taxpayers Union has or filed a request to speak to someone at Kangaroo yesterday prior to the story becoming um, pu- uh, public, uh, and we're yet to hear anything. In fact, they're one of those. This is damn trend of you used to be able to get someone on the phone from a media team to ask that sort of question, and now everything's done through email. It's just, and yet these these comms teams are getting larger and larger, and this. That email exchange shows you just how large these behemoths are becoming. Mm. And yet, anything when anything goes wrong, or they don't want to talk about it, they're nowhere to be seen. Mm. And I mean, short of um, I'm stuck in Auckland, obviously at the moment, but short of sending Louis or someone from the office down with a microphone and a and a camera, you just can never get these guys on tape to actually answer basic um, basic questions. Mm. I want to just. Well, two, two more topics I quickly want to cover, and one is the more broader question around government advertising. Mm. Um, we've looked at this pretty, or had reasons to look at this pretty closely because NZTA were putting out just demonstrably wrong full-page ads about um, uh, electric cars and reducing emissions when under RETS you buy an electric car, it might reduce transport emissions but doesn't reduce emissions overall, and it's very misleading and things like that. But it meant... 
we'd reason to go back to the government guidelines on advertising, mm. which were written right back in the 1980s. <laughs> and they're very good, but they're simply never enforced. And it is, mm. basically, you can promote um, uh, or, or inform the public about government policy, mm. but you're not there to persuade or to um, uh, or to politicise. Mm. And last night with your ex- this excellent story on um, News Hub on 3, there was also a very relevant story on um, Television One, on One News, where it was about a campaign we've been very concerned about called Gen Less, which is basically promoting um, uh, a, a green ideology. It's not about even, it used to be, you know, use your brakes less in the car to save gas. Now it's just inspirational pictures of um, uh, of Kate Shepherd and the like. And if you don't stand for climate change or radical transformation of New Zealand, then you're wrong and you're um, you're, you're not um, patriotic. Is basically the message. Right. And, and huge... why we're importing more coal than ever. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's just totally. Everyone's and the official front up and totally defended it. And again, it was Megan Woods. She said, "Well, the role of ECA is statutory role is to promote." energy conservation when this isn't energy conservation this is just blatant um connected with um the 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 climate conference in glasgow at the moment just blatant ideological promotion and so uh, circling back to the to the question nicola what will the nets do to really get on top of it because even before covid i remember having a, a a friend from a british taxpayer group staying in new zealand and she commented with the degree of um, government advertising, mm. we watched we watched the news and staggered that half the ads were connected to the to the government. Have the net put? I know Melissa Lee's your broadcasting spokeswoman, mm. but do you have you guys been thinking about this and how you might change this culture, or do you think it's now embedded that you just hope the government of the day benefits from it? I think it's the symptom of a serious disease, which is this disease of bloating, growing government, which comes to believe it has this all-encompassing purpose. Uh, And look, philosophically, it won't surprise you or your listeners that my view is that actually governments can't solve all problems, and when they get too big, it causes more problems than it solves. And what we see with Labour again and again is this belief that just through good intentions and a general sort of community spiritedness, letting public agencies grow ever larger is in and of itself a good thing. National does not have that view. We're very clearly about what are the results these agencies are getting, and we're not about let's just let them hire more and more staff, grow their comms departments ever larger, uh, and do more and more promotional activity. We had public service targets, so we were measuring how long are people spending on the public housing waitlist? And we'd set a target and we were reducing that waitlist. Well, what did Labor do? One of the first things they did with their housing agency was remove that target. So we're now in a situation where people are waiting almost three times as long on the public housing waiting list for a home, despite the government allowing Kainga Ora to borrow literally up to $8.4 billion, pouring hundreds of millions of dollars in, and what are we actually getting out the other side? Well, they've hired a thousand more staff for them, uh, but can anyone see that actually the housing situation uh, for lower income New Zealanders has improved? Well, I don't see indicators of that. I can't believe I haven't read about this in the Herald. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nicola, um, last um, last question. Our the Taxpayers Union Courier poll is out in about an hour's time, and I appreciate that I'm um, I'm coming at you blind on this because we haven't shared the results with with anyone, notwithstanding the various calls we've been getting the last few days. Um, I think what's really significant, though, is that for the first time since the GFC, more New Zealanders are saying New Zealand is going in the wrong direction than mm. going in the right direction. If that's not the definition of fertile ground for opposition parties, I don't know what is. Why do you think that the centre-right isn't polling better or doing better in this current environment? Well, I think we have work to do, but certainly uh, the sentiment that your poll is showing is what we are hearing reflected in the community. People are seeing the build-up of promises made with no delivery. Uh, they million New Zealanders have been under lockdown for week upon week uh, and they increasingly say to us, well, why didn't the government get on and do vaccination? Why haven't they introduced antigen testing? Why haven't they got vaccine passports ready to go? These guys are slow. These guys are incompetent on the things that matter. We're seeing inflationary pressures building up across the economy. We're not seeing the delivery of major infrastructure projects or actually the moving of the dial on any of the things this government promised, whether it's climate change, uh, whether it's child poverty, uh, whether it's any of these housing promises, it's the delivery simply not there. So the job for the centre-right, Jordan, to your question, is for us to convert that lack of faith in the government into support for us. And I think our exercise is to demonstrate what we would do differently uh, and how we can achieve that. Uh, so that's what we'll be working very hard on over the coming months. Nicola Willis, thanks for getting up early and joining us on Taxpayer Talk. I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity.